Welcome to the Skyward Spiral, a self-improvement and productivity podcast. I'm David Whitechapel. I'm a fiction writer and content creator, and I'm working on being more productive and efficient with my time and energy. I really enjoy learning about self-improvement and productivity and always aim to apply the best lessons I learn to my own work and practice. My name is Brent Huris. I'm a productivity coach. I'm the other person on this podcast. And what I do is I show people how to get into high-level sustainable productivity. I'm using a variety of different means, uh, a lot of them uh, psychological, some boring, from uh, good old self-help, and uh, a lot of different spiritual principles as well for centeredness, uh, as well as uh, coming to focus and out of distraction. Awesome. And how are you today, Brent? I'm feeling pretty good, thank you. I'm caffeinated. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Also caffeinated and um, off the back of a pretty good week productivity-wise. So feeling pretty good. Um, yeah. Although what I wanted to talk about today, which is the title of the episode, Imposter Syndrome, uh, yes. isn't about feeling that good, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I'd love to just tell you about how productive I've been. But it is something that can affect people whether they're doing well or not. Definitely. So yeah, do you have many thoughts about imposter syndrome? I do. I do. Um, especially uh, coming out of the last episode. So for any listeners that are joining just now, um, I went through, I had this like really massive breakthrough uh, that I was talking about last week. Um, that was uh, my own version of imposter syndrome. Um, you know, summarizing it really quickly, it's something along the lines of um, kind of carrying this basic essential uh, kernel of doubt in my psychology that would just show up in everything. So it would just show up in like my own personal philosophies or my ways of talking with other people, um, how I'd go about business, how I'd go about exercise. There's always just like doubt. And, uh, and so since then, I, you know, I, I kind of focused on rooting it out and kind of replacing it with knowing, with giving my permit, myself permission to know things. And uh, it's been like, so since then, that part of me that's felt like an imposter, it's lightened somewhat. So, so there is that on the personal level. And also it's something that I work with, uh, with a lot of clients because, you know, again, just broadly speaking, the problem with imposter syndrome is that um, in a lot of cases, if you want to move in a certain career direction, for example, at a certain point, you're going to need to decide that you're the thing and then go about your life as the thing, basically until other people tell you that you're the thing upon which then you might feel comfortable calling yourself the thing. But there's a a real arbitrary nature about whether or not you are the thing you say you are or whether or not you're an imposter. And and so I don't know if you necessarily agree with that, David, but that's been my finding. And so that's kind of how I come at the conversation. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Well, we'll definitely get into that today, but I guess I should start by defining imposter syndrome. Yes. You've probably heard of it before. It's a pretty uh, well-known phenomenon, and um, people have talked about it for quite a while now. But yeah, let's just get into a definition. So uh, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And this is despite external evidence of their competence. And uh, they people can be convinced that they're frauds and and undeserving of the position that they uh, occupy. Mm-hmm. So this is basically a phenomenon of, as you were saying, Brent, of self-doubt mm-hmm. and insecurity about where you have ended up and uh, what you have done to deserve getting there. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very universal. I think everyone 
except for perhaps the most profound narcissistic egoist. I think everyone will have suffered some kind of imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. Seth Godin is on the record. He was on a podcast himself. He was saying, uh, I think to not have imposter syndrome at all, you'd need to be a sociopath for that. I thought that was Yeah. Funny. You, it, it, you wonder if what kind of person that would be. Because mm-hmm. obviously having doubts in in anything in in any situation in you know your job security in your uh living security in your relationships etc is entirely normal and um human to to have these doubts and to ha- and to think about things and reconsider things and recontextualize things as they happen so it's entirely a, a normal phenomenon and what's interesting about uh this imposter syndrome uh, which you might typify initially as um, something that people will experience at, at a very low level of competence and success in that they're doubting their first foray into a, into a new world. Mm-hmm. It actually affects people at the very high levels of success and competence and achievement as well, mm-hmm. just as much where they, they receive these, you know, accolades or, uh, you know, appreciation and, still have doubts about whether they deserve to be in those positions i think that might be in large part because uh suppose you're in a position where you have fans and you have admirers and you have people that follow you somewhere along the way you'll start getting people ascribing more qualities to you than than can be ascribed to a single person so it's like when you uh, for example if you look at a rock star and start treating them like a god or some kind or you, you start feeling like certain people have superhuman abilities or something uh, what will happen is there will start to be, or, or, you know, to even put it more accurately, it's like, you know, we might look at people who are successful, who are at the top of, say, a hierarchy, whether it's like, a, you know, a company or like in an art field of some kind. And we'd start, we start seeing them as an image of themselves. And in a way that's intentional, because in a lot of cases, these people are portraying themselves as an image. They're, they're trying to get themselves to be seen exactly correct and to be seen, say, with like, you know, all good things and no bad things. And then what will happen is sometimes you'll get the public to believe that you're actually that image. And, and on, you would think of that as a success, but it's actually really nerve wracking because, you know, what we always know deep down is if we try to portray ourselves as an image of some kind, we never really are that image. And, and so when we have people believing that we're that image, we either like, what it means is that we need to, we need to be that image when we're public. So it means that we have to put a face on, we have to put an act on whenever we're around people. Otherwise the image will be shattered and uh, that can be very stressful. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, uh, yeah, we'll get into that more later in this podcast, I think, but uh, you're right. If, if you project a certain image, only a certain part of you is being seen or assessed and right you're privy to more than that image you're privy to your whole self and you're aware of your whole self mm-hmm. uh yeah and that's something i want to talk about a bit later but first i thought i would talk about my own experience of imposter syndrome and then i thought i'd throw it to you brent for your experience of it as well sure uh where, or where you've come across it as you said last week on the podcast yeah great so for me 
at the moment of this podcast, at least, I'm not a successful, well-known writer. I would like to be. I hope that, you know, if you listen to this at some point in the future, you, you'll know who I am or whatever, or I'll have some degree of uh, success in the field. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, there's no particular pressure of having this fandom to live up to or anything like that. But the imposter syndrome still comes in for me as a writer and a creative in the sense of, uh, for me, when I'm when I am in the act of creating and of writing, sometimes I could feel this 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 feeling of like I I'm I'm not living up to what I have set myself up for. So I've told myself that I'm a writer. I'm sitting in the chair in front of my keyboard, in front of a, a you know a, a page of prose, and telling myself that I'm writing uh, decent work. And then I might have this moment of insecurity or self-doubt where I look at it and say, well, this isn't what someone who is really legitimately making this stuff, this isn't what they would do. And they or either they would make better stuff or they'd make more or they'd already have made it or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of these self-doubts and insecurities about the creative process, about your the quality of your work, the quantity of it, the, you know, the skills that you have, etc. And I think that's something that doesn't go away with creative work. I think you always have um, a balance and a necessary balance of self-critique and assessment because as a creative, you need to be able to develop a taste and develop a style. So um, just to get into that creative world for a second, uh, developing a taste is all about knowing what is good, what you consider good what you consider aesthetically decent in a field. Uh, And once you become a creative rather than just a consumer of that field, then it's about trying to produce things that line up with your aesthetic, with your taste and that style. So trying to uh, develop your taste and then as a creative develop your style is very much, again, a balance of critique and self-praise. You need to be able to find what you do good and what you do bad so there's the doubt that is is inside that process, the self-critique, the self-criticism is necessary for learning the craft. Mm. Um, so again, I experience that all the time when I'm writing and I I try and balance it with uh, with the creative process. I try and keep it in balance with saying, oh, I did this well, etc. So I have experienced... Um, this imposter syndrome just with the act of calling myself a writer as well telling people even at the beginning of this podcast Brent I think you asked me are you are you fine with being called a writer Mm -hmm. Mm because I was hesitant about it or something you know should I be more like an aspiring writer aspiring author or something like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but no I I am a writer and I, I took a moment to acknowledge then no this is something I do and I am proud of how I do it and how I execute it and I do believe that I can uh, own the title and and self-define myself as a writer i do think that i do deserve it mm-hmm. so again a moment of you know imposter syndrome that i had to counter mm-hmm. so i've definitely come across it quite a lot and i expect i will come across it a lot more in my creative life how about you brent can i ask quickly just out of a just sort of a curiosity do you uh do you have like any sort of uh an idea of a line that could be drawn in terms of like who can call themselves a writer and who can't that's interesting yeah so i think that line is always easier to draw for yourself or not maybe not easier to draw but it's always more tempting to draw that line for yourself than for other people yeah yeah uh and i think that's the the trouble i was having is like do i deserve this title 
Not that right. it's a particularly like grand title or anything, just to be called. called right, it, right. right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for other people, I would, I would never myself, I would never really judge people calling themselves a writer if they write, you know, mm-hmm. Wh- whatever they write. Really, I don't think it's, it's a title that requires much beyond just doing it, just being someone who writes. Right. So yeah, no, I don't particularly draw that line. Um, other than you need to, I mean, if someone calls themselves a writer and they never write, that's the that's where I would quibble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because it it could also be taken to a different extreme too, where it's like, okay, well, okay, I got a pencil in my hand and I've got some paper and I'm writing a sentence. Therefore, I am presently a writer. You know, what I mean, and you could uh, you could just go in that direction too. It's like you know, whatever I'm writing, I'm a writer. But uh, but I think I I think I like what you said, where it's not. And and by, I, I see this this sort of conversation as important because because when we when we figured out the criteria by which we can give ourselves a title, then that will be the first leg that we kick out of the stool of imposter syndrome. Right. It's like no 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 no. Here's here's literally why I'm actually the thing that I say I am. I figured it out. And I think it might be more along. I think it's very much what you're what you're saying, where it's like when what you're doing you've defined that as the primary role that you want to take in society like this primarily what i am is this in society i'm a writer that's you know this this is my con you know this is the the primary contribution that i'm offering up to my to my community into the world at large and uh and i i think that's a really nice way of looking at it because that way there's no pressure exactly to have made money from it because what it does is it kind of like it, it asserts that either you are or you will like you know the intention is to make money from it and to and to be to live a life where we can sustain ourselves with this primary role that we've chosen what do you think do you like it yeah i think um yeah you hit upon a couple of interesting <coughs> points so yeah first of all i think that you are what you do to a large extent and um if you write you are a writer as you mm-hmm. said and you're entitled to self-define as well. You're entitled to give yourself yes. that title. Uh, yes. I really do believe that. Um, I mean, if you're working in a company, mm-hmm. in a company structure, and you've got a boss and you get a promotion and you are given a new title, that title is justified by your boss and by the company and by the context of where you work and what you do. Mm-hmm. When you're working on your own, like me, uh, if you're self-employed or if you're a creative, you kind of have to give yourself those titles, I suppose, right? Yes. Uh, before someone else will give you it. You have to self-define before someone else defines you. It's a tricky thing to do because what that requires of us, like like for so many of us, for the bulk of us, we were we come into the world in the habit of assigning our authority to other people. We give our authority to other people. Like so for you know, starting with our parents, like our parents literally tell us what's what. They tell us how reality is. They tell us what we are. And then if we don't have a moment where we reclaim that authority for ourselves as we move into adulthood, then we just go about our lives looking for other authority figures to tell us what we are. And we can run into huge trouble that way. Huge, huge trouble. Because then what we'll do is we'll we'll put our we'll like, you know, say we'll make our lives about the attempt to become something and we're looking for approval that in a lot of cases we've never even defined you know for example maybe like uh you want to become a major youtuber or um you know i don't know a a filmmaker or um 
or a, a business person or an entrepreneur and and there's a certain amount of accolades or viewership or or a certain amount of uh, money that you need to make in order to kind of cross that line where you can drop the aspiring aspect of your title away and then you just become the title. Usually people don't even have that. We don't even actually have anything specific. So we just permanently, permanently remain in this place of not legitimately being what we are. So, so that could be mitigated by reclaiming our authority and, and trusting our own authority and believing in our own authority when we say that we are something so that we can say that we are something and then believe it and then by that virtue become that thing. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. And also, um, people, uh, you kind of say you're a thing before you are it, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes, because yeah, before you before you become something, you have to decide to become it, and um, mm-hmm. that decision itself is part of that self definition in a in a broad sense. Yeah. So, but imposter syndrome does affect you whether you self-define or not right even if someone else has defined the role for you and defined a title for you you may feel that you don't deserve it so they're kind of slightly adjacent things there's there's the sense of whether you deserve to give yourself your own title or role Mm -hmm. as a self-employed person or whatever whatever context but there's also a feeling of if you are promoted within a company or a you know corporate structure or something like that Mm -hmm. whether you deserve that you know whether whether you've been whether you feel fraudulent for having achieved that position as well. Right, right. I think I want to make a point here, though, that it really does seem to come down to authority. Like, that's really, like, like to me, this idea of whether or not I'm an imposter or the real thing, it comes down to exactly who has the authority to, to, to tell me that I am that thing. Right. You know, it could be, say, possible that when we're in a, say, a corporate position and we have a boss that hires us, you know, the boss says, um, okay, you know, you you are qualified for this position. I'm going to, I'm going to promote you. And then maybe if we trust in the authority of our boss, we believe them and that there's no need for imposter syndrome. But, but it could be the case where it's like, okay, we get promoted, but our boss doesn't know this, this secret little thing about, about us. It's like, you know, the, you know, they don't know how secretly lazy or how, unqualified i am and so then you could in theory have a you know sit down with this person over beers and this is just in theory right but you could sit down with them um where you're like hey just so you know i have this secret thing going on inside of me um, that causes me to doubt whether or not i deserve this title whether or not i'm fit for this title and then the boss could be like okay i hear you say that i hear your reasoning for it and even with that said you are i say that you are qualified and then, and then through that, that kind of like deeper authority, it's like, okay, like there's no need for imposter syndrome. There's something there about, about feeling like we're an imposter and like, and having a secret that like, if, if it got out and if everybody knew it, then, then they would see, and then, uh, and then we wouldn't be able to have that title anymore. Yeah. You hit upon something interesting there as well, in the sense that, you know, that the, the idea of that secret, uh, let, al- let alone imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. I think everyone has that secret in a way you everyone has things yes. that they're kind of a little ashamed of or, or or at least a little like they don't want everyone to know about it and it's just kind of tucked away kind of yes. thing and everyone's dealing with that every day you know you kind of have to just like deal with the fact that you're gonna have um a part of yourself that's mm-hmm. that's hidden mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, I want to get into this more, but Brent, what about first sure. your experience of imposter syndrome? Sure. Like, can you, can yeah. you dig more into that about how you felt last week and over the past month and stuff and, and whenever you've experienced it? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think probably the most intense experience I ever had of it was, uh, so, um, I related in the very first episode of our podcast, just like the, uh, you know, kind of the, the skyward episode where we're kind of, uh, you know, talking about ourselves and, um, what had happened for those of, for the listeners who haven't heard it all, like the, the quick summary is that I, um, um, I, I met people basically on Reddit and I just kind of practiced coaching with them for free just to kind of get my bearings and figure out how to do it. And, uh, and then I came across a, a training program for how to sell coaching and how to like, you know, sell it for higher ticket prices. And so up until then I've been selling like say $20 a session kind of thing. And then I got this training and, uh, and like it came with the script and everything. And then I rattled off the script and people started signing up with me. And then, and then it was like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, uh, and I started freaking out freaking all the way out and then eventually my clients were like uh on second thought i don't want to do this anymore and so and then I, and then like over over years like basically the following two years from that point was me like learning how to find my footing and part of it part of it like a little bit of it was learning how to coach but the trick was that i actually already did like it, it was something that i was doing it was a role that i played for everybody in my life my whole life that's just i came out of the factory as somebody who would just give counsel and advice and so i was just naturally good at it and so, and so I, like a, a part of it was learning how to do it in a little bit more of a deliberate and refined fashion, but, but the bulk of what I was doing over those two years was just learning to trust myself and learning to trust that I actually could do this. So that, that's kind of, that was my big imposter syndrome. And then it kind of continued up until, until recently where like I had kind of this, you know, the bigger epiphany about, about trusting myself and trusting my ability to know and releasing doubt. But, um, but there was one major, major lesson that occurred to me that really, that really helped me um, at least start moving forward from a business standpoint. And uh, this was a really hard one concept. So I'm really happy to share it here. It's, it's really good. And I think this can be applied to um, just about anybody who's applying for a job that they feel is like a little bit, you know, out of their reach or whatever it is. And, uh, and it's this, it's when you're when you're looking at an opportunity that's appropriate for you, generally you know if that opportunity is appropriate for you. If you're if you if you if you are a person who values honesty and integrity, which you know I know you are, David, and I know a lot of listeners are, like if you really like you really aspire to be honest and authentic, then you generally can look at an opportunity, even if it's a somewhat lofty one or a big one or a high stakes one, you can know if that opportunity is for you to take or not. There's, there's generally an intuitive element that's there and, and you, and, and part of it is part of how, you know, is that you can imagine taking this opportunity and you can imagine yourself in the opportunity. You can imagine yourself actually, you know, carrying out the objectives and doing the thing and doing a good job and having a good time and imagining your, your talents and skills being used to their full extent, which is something a lot of us crave. And so, and so in those moments, we can know that the opportunity is for us and then we'll take the opportunity. We'll maybe perhaps we'll get offered the job or whatever. And then as soon as that, that switch is flipped and we receive the opportunity, that's usually when the imposter syndrome starts to kick into play. And so, 
what we can do is in these moments, because the imposter syndrome will, of course, it's, you know, it comes from our own intelligence. So it knows who we are and it knows how we operate and it knows how to, it knows how to convince us of whatever it wants to convince us of. Right. And so it'll be very, very persuasive, this imposter syndrome, but we can, we can at the very, very bottom, we can stick with the original wisdom of who we were when we applied for the opportunity in the first place, because that's the wisdom that you can trust because of your, you know, especially again, if you're committed to honesty and integrity, which, which, you know, you can also trust that you are, then you can, you can trust in that, that original intuition of this opportunity is here for me. And therefore you can start safely disbelieving the doubt. You can, the doubt will be there. It's, 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 you know, again, like as Seth Godin said, you'd be, it's, it's, happens to basically everybody that doubt starts to come in as soon as you're thrown in the ring but if you can have that bare bottom basement knowing that this opportunity nevertheless is for you then that can be something that can be uh, it can go a long way to allowing yourself to to dissolve imposter syndrome yeah so that's that's my experience with imposter syndrome yeah that's really interesting obviously um for you uh there is a there is the sense of because you're charging people for what you do, of course you want to feel justified in doing that as absolutely. well, right? So that absolutely affects your work uh, very, very heavily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, so in order to have that confidence, I focus on very, very specifically. I zero in on the results that I can help people create in their lives, and noting the results when they come about, which is very grounding. Right. Right. Okay, so I was thinking a bit about why we have imposter syndrome in the first place. Like, where does this come from? I mean, if you are particularly anxious or, uh, you know, someone who really doubts themselves a lot, perhaps it's something that is is going to affect you a lot more than other people. But again, as I said before, everyone really comes across this uh, at least a few times in their lives. So I was thinking about why that is. And what I... Th- what I think is really core to this kind of experience and the human experience in general is the fact that basically you're only ever you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so this is something I think of a lot as a writer because I'm writing different characters and different points of view and stuff. And I'm always trying to get almost as far from myself as possible, but ultimately I'm always only ever me. Right. And the same in an engagement with art, when you're reading a story or watching a movie, you get to empathize with the other person and you get to walk in their shoes for a bit, but you're still only ever you. You're still fundamentally you. And what this means is that you are privy to every mistake that you've ever made in a way that no one else is. And you're privy to every doubt you've ever had that no one else knows. You know all of your own secrets, all of your own regrets, everything you've been ashamed of and uh, and don't want other people to know. You know all of your mistakes. There's no one else in the world who knows all of those things. There's no, there's no one else who knows them. And that even if you spilled your guts out and told someone everything, everything that's on your mind, a psychologist or someone or a good friend... They don't know it in the way that you know it. They don't feel it in the way that you feel it. You really, really, really know yourself in a way that no one else ever will. And I think that's the core of why imposter syndrome can strike because you have an ability to, you know, to really 
for your failures or your sense of your own failures and your own mistakes to haunt you. But actually, who you are in the world is kind of a different person to who you are to yourself. This is coming back to that idea of, you know, if 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 a celebrity or someone has fans, you know, you bring that up earlier and they have that constructed image. This is somewhere in between the idea of the image, the portrayed image, the very constructed, uh, you know, manicured, polished image between that image and the absolute truth of who you are, you know, the truth that only you know. And between those things is how other people actually see you. First of all, people who know you see different people. Everyone is seeing you as a different person, and it's to do with the context of who you are to them. A friend, a co-worker, a father, you know, a sister, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're defined by your context of the people you know, and, and what they do with you, how they spend time with you, and what they, the reasons why they like you or even dislike you. Mm-hmm. You're defined by all of that, by that network of, of, re- of your relationships with those people. And they only see that that part of you, and they and they come up with that sort of personhood based on those things that they know about you. And you'll be surprised to find, or if you're if you're someone who is riddled with self doubt, you'd always be surprised to find how little other people are thinking about the things that you have doubts about yourself. Yes, there's a quote I forget who it's by, but it's. You'd worry less about what other people think if you realized how little they thought about you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's very true. And and the, the truth of it is evident in the fact you only have to think about how often you're thinking that critically about other people. It's not that often. And it's rarely hypercritical. Maybe if you really have like an exacerbated hatred or, you know, really a- antipathy towards someone, then you'll get into, you know, some real criticism and like, oh, I hate how they do this or whatever. Most of the time, though, people are just, they're just other people. And you're not really thinking, you're not really being really analytical about what they did and what they didn't do right and whatever. So again, it's, it's that thing of where you are seeing, you are seeing all of your mistakes and other people really aren't. They're actually seeing everything that you present yourself as and potentially only your successes, your mistakes are not important to them. So if you want to portray yourself as, for me, for example, as a writer, I don't have to show you all my failed drafts and you don't even have to know they exist. I mean, if you think about it, you will know they exist, right? Because you know that as a writer, you have to obviously write and edit and revise, etc. But I want you to know me as a, as a reader. I want you to know me through my finished, polished, completed work. So I think that's another aspect of imposter syndrome, why it's, why it's so common is because we, we all know all of, all of our failures and all of our mistakes, and we can always draw upon them to doubt ourselves whenever we want. But we should acknowledge that what we actually portray ourselves as to other people is a very different uh, beast, is a very different uh, image. And we have control of that. And that's the reason why the imposter syndrome is fundamentally invalid. Mm. Damn. It really uh, it goes to show how much we project on the world, like how much like really because you know like a lot of us like, we can be so scared when we're about to post something or submit something or or even if we're not even submitting even if it's like just like a private like little thing for our own selves and you know we, we don't even dare share it with the world and and uh, and we have all these fears about like you know the worst reactions that we could possibly get and 
and really what it is it's uh it's like the equivalent of having an argument with an imaginary character like you know while you're in the shower or something you're like carrying out like an argument it's basically between like these two parts of your own self like you know who else would you be arguing against it's kind of like that and so uh you know we will will hold back our gifts like we'll hold back that which we have to offer to the world because we're literally you know scared of our own our own selves projected upon the public yeah i think that's absolutely right so yeah so realizing that can be pretty powerful yeah i mean i think about when i've when i've like read work i remember the stuff i like and i you know praise the person who wrote it or made it because mm-hmm. they made something that i like mm-hmm. and stuff that i don't like it's not like i keep forever this feeling that i didn't like that thing and you know remember that person and think how you dwell on how much i disliked it it's pretty mm-hmm. rare that's yeah, really pretty yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's an interesting idea to just like to just be minding your business and then to take out a memory of something that you read that was bad and just and yeah just dwell. <laughs> that exactly. was so bad you know? <laughs> Exactly. It's pretty rare. I mean, it does happen. Yeah. It can be something that's so sort of, you know, spectacularly bad or like right. in a particular way that affects right. you or sticks with you. But it's it's very rare. And and basically, you are always going to be your own potential worst critic in, in the deepest way. You, you are going to be able to cut yourself the deepest. You are going to be able to bring up all your embarrassments right. and, and regrets of the past whenever you want. You're always going to be the best at doing yourself down. No one can undercut you or undermine you and make you feel bad as much as yourself. Right, right. And it becomes particularly troublesome when we're in the process of making something and and we're criticizing ourselves and the work as we make it in real time. So we're like, you know, say writing or making a piece of music or whatever. And then and then we'll get done like a couple words or a few notes or like a few, uh, say, brushstrokes or whatever it is. And then. And then just suddenly it's like, that's garbage. Start over. And like, it just continuously going through iterations of that it can cause a person to really stall out. Yeah. In my, in my uh, writing group, we used to call it first chapter syndrome where people would yeah. keep coming back with their first chapter because they get a bit of critique and then they feel like they have to rip it up and start over and they never actually get any further than chapter one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's definitely harmful. But as I was saying earlier, it's also part of the process. A certain level of self-criticism is necessary for the artistic process and for many other processes as well, you know, being an, mm-hmm. an entrepreneur or a businessman or, or, you know, whatever. Um, so you do need a, a kernel of that there. And it's important to have a certain amount of self-doubt, but it has to be in balance with self-confidence and self-belief. Mm-hmm. I think I think I would add another ingredient to the soup, which would be a willingness to create and produce bad work. Yes. And I'll exp- I, <laughs> no, I, can, I agree. I hundred percent agree. Oh, it's cool. Okay, necessary. fair enough. Yeah, I got you. I, I mean, like, because I, I I worded that way to be deliberately provocative, right? Because you know, it, it makes a lot of people contract, and and rightly so, right? But uh, but uh, but you know, I I hear what you're saying, David. I'll I'll just kind of explain what I mean, you know, for uh, for everybody else. Yeah. So uh, you know a willingness to produce bad work, not to be mistaken with an intention to produce bad work, but, um, but arriving at this place where like, especially for those of us who are really, really caught up on this idea of like, you know, okay, there's good stuff out there. There's bad stuff out there. You know, it's very, very important that I make good stuff. It's very, very important that I don't make bad stuff or that people, you know, you know, find what I make to be bad, you know, to really kind of push back to push beyond that whole thing like a, a conviction that i hold by the way beyond the, dich- the dichotomy of good and bad is is like underneath that is the extent to which i've completely expressed what i meant to express 
the extent to which what I've made is a match for what I see inside of myself. Because, because that kind of contains this idea of good and bad, because like whatever, whatever it is that makes good art or good business or good sales or good conduct, whatever it is that we're looking at, it's, it's based on like, like what it is that we're hoping to manifest in the world. And so, and so the degree to which it is commensurate, I don't know, like, like the degree to which it's a match for what we're making, um, that that's the degree to which we feel like what we did was a success or a failure. But and so and so in order to move beyond the good bad dichotomy, in order to do that, it's really helpful to just on purpose make something bad. And maybe one way of going about this would be to do it privately, right? So it's like, okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna make instead of focusing on making something good, I'm gonna make the baddest, bad, worst, terrible, low quality thing that I possibly can do. And that could be really fun. It could actually be a really interesting exercise and it kind of it eases up the polarity somewhat a little bit and kind of brings that fun back in. And then, you know, if you're really down for it, and, uh, and if you kind of have a sense of humor about this kind of thing, you could even make a song, right? That's just terrible and be like, hey guys, I went ahead and tried to make the worst possible song that I can make. Here it is. And you kind of post it and get people to listen to it. And then, and then there's something about that too. There's a certain benediction that comes from that where it's like, okay, you know, I, I've got some bad stuff out there and it's totally, totally fine to have bad stuff. And, um, and that, that can, and what that does is it's, it's sort of like the equivalent of like being afraid that there's a monster under your bed. So you just like actually look under your bed to see if there are any monsters there. And then, and then like the fear can sometimes dissolve as a result of just looking and experiencing this sort of thing directly. And, uh, that can be very powerful. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, we kind of broached this on the podcast before, actually, I, I very much believe that the stairway to success the stairs of the stairway to success mm-hmm. are failures, are your failures, are your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And especially that goes double for learning a craft, learning something new, which, mm-hmm. you know, everything can kind of be reduced. Every kind of improvement can kind of be re- uh, reduced to learning something new and applying new strategies. But yeah, it's all about learning how to to make the most out of mistakes and, you know, rise above them. Um, so I absolutely believe, yeah, being able to make bad work is how you can eventually make better work. So it's it's absolutely cool. And to a large degree, I think I'm I'm very, this is something maybe we'll talk about another time. I, I wonder if we'll broach this topic, but I've got very particular views that not everyone agrees with me about, about, about talent. Yes. I don't really think that talent exists in a way. Damn, so, nice. M- but my take is that talent is persistence mm-hmm. more than anything else. It's persistence. Uh, there are some studies on this, the fact that talented people just work more. They do more of whatever they're talented at mm-hmm. than, than uh, you know, uh, your average person. Mm-hmm. So they're just persistent and they, they get through, you know, mistakes and errors faster and get mm-hmm. to the better stuff quicker. That's, uh, I mean, that's my take on it. Um, and, and obviously what, when you do that, getting external validation obviously helps. Mm-hmm your imposter syndrome i mean it can also exacerbate it in the sense of you'll be like do i deserve all this praise but yeah you need you need both validation from within and without uh for for any kind of work that internal validation you 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 have to be ready to silence your inner critic when that voice gets too loud you know what i think um i feel like a lot of this comes down also to it comes down to self-image because because again like returning to this authority piece 
when we're children, as we grow up, we're told what we are. And we're also told other things like we're, we're given we're given full belief systems in terms of, you know, what it means to succeed, what it means to work, what it means to have discipline, what a good work ethic looks like. You know, all of that is what we receive as we're young and impressionable and moldable. And and uh, and then it kind of uh, solidifies in our belief structures as we grow up. And so and if we have if we were told something like, for example, if we're very unfortunately told that, like, we're not good at something or have no talent or skill for something, or that we can't pursue a particular path for whatever reason, and, and then we believe it, and then we just start accepting it as true, then then that really, you know, that that's sort of like a major stopping factor for for how we would develop along these particular lines. And so if we can, it becomes very, very, very powerful and important to cultivate the ability to observe our belief systems about ourselves and about these important subjects because what we find is that a, like so much of our identity and perhaps even all of it i would love to hear what you think about this david that perhaps even all of our identity is something that we decide or is something decided by authority you know whether it's our own authority or somebody else's and so when we can actually look into the source code of our own software and start taking it upon ourselves to decide what we are and give ourselves the authority to say so, then whole avenues of growth open up. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you said about identity without getting too into the like philosophy of it or something, because I think it is quite a deep subject. But oh, yeah. identity is an interplay of, of what you define for yourself and your engagement with the world and people around you. It is a cultural conversation that mm -hmm. you're having but it does start with with self-determination because it's composed of information right like that's what an identity is made out of data right yeah yeah and so as you were saying when you're a child that gets established for you your identity kind of gets built for you by your parents and by your school and by you know the social structures of the world around you but at some point when you become your own self you get to decide who you are and that's very empowering. And it can be very scary as well to, to be your own authority. It can be frightening. But it, it is also very empowering. It really means that you can say that, you know, you can choose what your identity is, what your thing is, what, what are you? You know, you really do get to decide that and say it and, and then live up to it. Including whether or not you're an imposter. Absolutely. Exactly. Oh. exactly but don't identify as an imposter because in general <laughs> that's not true in general right. it's, it's it'd be so rare that that's true of course there is the the flip side to what we're talking about here this self-doubt and stuff is overconfidence right and that definitely exists as well there are people who are way overconfident and they're full of themselves and they've earned positions that they don't deserve that definitely exists there are people who who have been promoted beyond their capacity who have achieved more than they're worth etc right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, firstly i don't think those people are listening to this podcast right yeah yes yeah, because uh, to, to listen to this i think you need a, a degree of introspection and and um and and you know self-analysis that i d i don't know that the the over the vastly overconfident are capable of right yeah um but secondly i think it's very rare i think it's just very rare that level of overconfidence 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. I wanted to like insert like a, a quick thing because I think a lot of people err on the side of underconfidence just because we're freaked out about possibly becoming overconfident and like that being something that we really want to avoid. And of course we yeah, do want to avoid I think so. that. Right. But, but you know, for a lot of us, like really, we can really, 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 and truly start giving ourselves permission to, to step into confidence. Like, you know, for all the time that we've like put all these checks and balances in place and we've really, really explored the doubt of in our limitations and so forth. It's like, we can really, we can really graduate from that school now and we can step into confidence with confidence. Like we can actually feel happy and comfortable in a place of confidence. So you know, for any listeners who needed to hear that, this could be that moment right now. If you're ready for it, you can actually start letting your doubt go. Right. And step forward confidently mm-hmm. and be proud of that step. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a lot about how imposter syndrome is a, you know, damaging thing and it's an unnecessary thing and you don't have to live with it. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking about just now, I think it's also um, indicative at least evidence for a good thing a good thing in yourself if you experience imposter syndrome you're someone who is able to look at themselves critically and that's a good thing who is able to you know self-analyze and and contextualize and and really think you know really engage with with the idea of who deserves what and uh and you know how things are apportioned why things are the way they are and I think that's a good thing. And to me, I put this distinction of whether it's healthy or unhealthy. And Brent, we'll see if you agree with this. Um, as the dichotomy between inferiority and humility. So I don't think it's good. And I think it's actually incorrect to feel inferior, to have an inferiority complex. And that's a side of imposter syndrome where you really feel like you're, you're too inferior to deserve the position you're in. Mm-hmm. but i think it's good to be humble and to acknowledge the various you know the luck you've been given or the education you've been given the various circumstances that has brought you to what you are that it wasn't just you and the humility to acknowledge those other factors that aren't just you that have gone into where you are mm-hmm. and you know the happenstance of it all and the humility to to know that you're you might not know some things the humility to know that you don't know everything, mm-hmm. that you have more to learn, that you haven't reached the top of the ladder and you're still climbing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can know you have more to learn, but appreciate the path that you've taken so far. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this balance of of being self-analytical without being overly self-critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where I draw that line, inferiority and humility. What, what do you make of that, Brent? <sighs> yeah, yeah, very well put. Very tricky. Well, as it appears to me, inferiority uh, is really, it's just the flip side of superiority. Like those of us, like if we spend any time in inferiority, it usually comes coupled with superiority. So like we're kind of flipping back and forth between the two, sort of mentally positioning ourselves above and below people, kind of like on a sort of a hierarchy of sorts. And um, and of course, like looking like that is always a, a false way of thinking. There's no... There's no real any such hierarchy as such. Like it's not it's not actually like there are of course like hierarchies in business and and what have you where there's like structures of people, but just like speaking universally, like there's no there's no 
actual way of placing one person above or below another person any more than there is any way of placing like one maple tree as higher or lower quality than another maple tree or a maple tree compared to an oak tree or something. It's just, it doesn't really compute when you put it in nature and nor does it really compute um, with the rest of us being as we're nature. Um, humility though, humility to me is, it's stepping out of all forms of self aggrandizement. And it's kind of strange because for all people, as it really appears to me, there's a propensity for greatness. And there really is such thing as being great. Like you can be great, you know, in the sense of being fully manifested, fully actualized, kind of like really ascending into the fullest form of what you can be and having that be like a, a really good thing, really a really productive member of society and offering up your, your deepest and most powerful gifts, you know, for the service of the world. And, and it's, it's really important to do that. And when we do that, these, these gifts will be acknowledged, they'll be received, um, they will, you know, will perhaps will receive recognition, fame, uh, awards, whatever it is. And yet, right alongside that, every single step of the way, we're just another regular asshole. And that's, and that's, that's the other side of the coin. It's totally and utterly intermingled in there. It's um, and it's it's really one of the uh, the most important concepts behind uh, enlightenment for those who ever like seek spiritual enlightenment. Like the best best teachers, the best teachers, the ones that you really want to emulate, and and just be around, and the ones you love, and just think like they're good people. These are the type of people who they're just ordinary and they live ordinary lives, and they don't even really have too much of a self image at all just they just they show up and they sit in front of a microphone and they teach maybe they write some books and they put it out and then that's it and so i think humility this concept of humility is straddling both having your feet in both like being being able and willing to see your own greatness and to acknowledge it it's like yeah there is greatness or the potential for it at least but also i'm just another asshole yeah beautifully put Thank you. um we are both just more assholes Brent. that's right <laughs> yeah so to me humility entails uh, everything you're saying and also the capacity to be grateful yes so the overconfident and the you know narcissistic and the egoist they 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 will not be grateful to others or to the world about their position mm -hmm. but the healthy attitude well what i consider the healthy attitude is to have the humility that allows you to thank the world your circumstance, your luck, your mm. friends, your family, your coworkers, mm. everyone around you, and and the the everything that has contributed to you being in the position that perhaps sometimes you feel you don't deserve. Yeah, yeah. So like, I I I appreciate that, and I I wanna man, I wanna get into deserving with you in another episode. Let's make a mark for that because I think sure, deserving sure. is a really really profoundly difficult and important issue. And, and, and so, and so that's there, but you know, if we can put a pin in that, like I'm otherwise right on board with you, right? Because it's like, take like, um, an apple tree, like, you know, it makes apples. It's just, it draws upon, like, basically speaking the entire earth. Like it, it, there's no, it draws upon everything in order to, in order to make an apple. And if a tree had a human ego, it'd be like, I made this apple. Yo, look at me. 
right? But it's, it's not. It's like everything, everything that we become and grateful is so essential. I'm so glad you brought it up, man, because it's like, it's like, yes, like I did all of this because of literally everything else. All of my right. teachers, all of the books, you know, how I was raised, how I was brought up, all the, all the little events, all the people along the way and all the people that influence those people. You know, like in to 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 get into a mental territory of like what we did as somehow disconnected and like and and just like only the result of just like this one aspect of the universe is it's just it's false and it's not helpful. And it's a big mental hurdle because if we can step beyond that mental hurdle, it, it's it, it is it is a, it is humbling. That's exactly what it is. It's humbling to be like, oh, wait, I did all of this because of everything else. You know, and, and there's there's still the piece where it's like, okay, I did it. Like I, me, my personality, my body, like I did this, and that's also true. But but just like on the on the flip side of it, like which is otherwise also a hundred percent true, is that the totality did this. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Okay, I wanted to bring one other thing up, Brent, and this is to do with something you said on a previous podcast, uh okay. where we disagreed actually, or we had a different way of doing things. Dope. Um I forget which episode it was, but I was saying how I tend to plan and research before going into a new venture. Mm -hmm. And you were saying how you just throw yourself in sometimes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you figure it out. You know, you figure out the ropes and, and uh, you know, you learn to swim by throwing yourself in the deep end essentially. Right, 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 right. And I thought that was pretty interesting and totally valid. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, something I thought about that was obviously like this imposter syndrome thing. Sometimes it's about feeling that you're out of your depth, right? Oh no, I I'm I actually can't deal with this. I can't cope with this right now. I don't have the skills. And sometimes that might not be true, and you just need to check yourself and remind yourself that you do have the skills, that you do have the know-how, and that you do, you know, have the means to manage with your position. But sometimes it can be a good thing to throw yourself into that position. But just remember that you have thrown yourself into you've thrown yourself into the deep end mm -hmm. and you're learning how to swim. So sometimes you genuinely, you know, you, you might want to throw yourself in the deep end, but that's not a reason to, you know, be then riddled with self-doubt. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It's a challenge that you're presenting yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to raise that point that it's OK to feel out of your depth and completely normal. And sometimes you might even want to feel out of your depth, you know, sure. for this, you know, the shock of, of dousing yourself in cold water and, mm -hmm. and learning the fastest way possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just uh, because like, you know, we, we returned to this original idea that we just, we generally, like, we just know it's a bad idea to accept an opportunity that's basically incorrect for us. And, and so when we do accept an opportunity, it can be one where it's like, I'm like fully ready for it as I am right now. Let's go, let's rock. Or it can be something along the lines of like, yeah, I'm, 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 I have a good, strong notion that I can jump in and figure it out as I go. Yeah. It's almost like the, it's almost like another kind of, it's, it's almost like the reverse of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You would still call it imposter syndrome, I guess, where you're impostering as better than you are. Right. right. But it can be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or in, like, and you might. And like, you don't even necessarily, there doesn't have to be a falsehood in it necessarily, right? Like you can, you like, you can, you can jump into an opportunity and just be like, Hey, like, here's where I am. But like, I have every confidence that I can figure this out in real time. And it's, you're not even, there's not even like a sense of posturing or pretending necessarily. The confidence that is that you are going to, that you will do the work to become the person who can do this thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So totally legitimate. I agree. Cool. 
I just thought I'd bring that up as a kind of um, an- another time when someone might feel a kind of imposter syndrome or at least a kind of out of their depthness, mm-hmm. but in a way that is actually desired or um, useful. Yeah, yeah. It becomes important, I think, like in, in these moments to still return to the original wisdom that, that, that caused you to accept the opportunity to really drive a stake in that, to really hold to that, to allow it to be true, to have confidence in it. That is the key. All right. I think that wraps up our discussion. I think so too. Shall we do our three takeaways? Sure. Okay. So let's see. So my first takeaway would be what I was saying earlier on in the podcast, that you are the most capable of hurting yourself the most, of undermining yourself the most, and of of really doubting yourself the most, of creating the most sense of doubt and distrust in your own ability. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's good to remember that the way that other people see you is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And you have control over that. Um, you know every mistake you've made in a way that no one else ever will. But in the same way, you should know every success you've ever had and you should acknowledge it you should really appreciate what you've done that is good and exactly where you stand and and you know the the solid ground on which you stand number two would be uh just as i was saying a little bit earlier i think a really important piece is remember the wisdom that caused you to accept the opportunity in the first place and if you're really wrestling between the confidence and the doubt let that confidence win trust let that trust be there. Make that leap and trust yourself that you're in a good place and that you do, in fact, know what you're doing. And that at the very bottom, even if it, even if you suspect you might be an imposter, at least at minimum, you'll know that you're not. Yeah. And for number three, I would say it's not good to feel inferior and it's wrong. But it is good to feel grateful and it's right. Great. Uh, oh, man. It feels good to talk about that stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you for this. A little bit of co-validation between us as well. We're not imposters. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not imposters either, dear listener. And um, we'd love for you to tell us about your experience with imposter syndrome, if you've experienced it. If you feel self-doubt or uh, distrust in your own abilities... Let us know. You can contact us and we really like to hear from you. We're on Twitter. We're at Skyward underscore Spiral. Or you can email us at theskywardspiral at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts. Brent, where can people find you? Yeah, man. You can, uh, I suggest uh, heading over to my YouTube channel uh, where I have a lot of just free lectures there. Uh, just put in my name, Brent Huras, H-U-R-A-S. And if you would like a, a free course on sustainable high-level productivity, you can just opt into my email list on my website, brentheris.com, and uh, you'll get set up there. Great. And you can contact me personally if you'd like. On Twitter, I'm at dwhitechapel. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're not an imposter, no matter how much you feel you might be sometimes. You really are legit. You're legit the thing that you say you are. Yes, indeed. <laughs> believe in yourself thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next time all right talk later bye thanks for listening to this episode of the skyward spiral 
This show was edited by myself, and the musical themes are brought to you by Batchberg Music. Information and resources on today's topic can be found in the episode description. Please rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast app. It really helps. See you next time.